Okay, there we go. So I guess we can pray for you now. The button has been pressed. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jessica and for what a blessing she is to all of us and for what you have to speak through her today. We pray for your peace and guide her words. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Wade. Hi. Good morning, everyone. I just realized that my notes are completely out of order and they don't have page numbers on them, so I'm going to stall for a minute while I figure that out. Um, how you doing? Great. Cool. There, we've got page. You're going to stall for me? Awesome. So we didn't have a formal announcement, but <clears throat> if um, you're at all interested in doing anything with the video during the service um, or before the service or after the service, uh, you could talk to me, and I can totally hook you up. Um, with any level of commitment or experience or really kind of just, you know, you, you come to me with what you can offer and, and we'll work out a deal. So that, that's how video at VEV works. Um, that's also, uh, to be fair, how kids um, at VEV works. Um, so if you talk to um, Karen Chu, um, she will work out a deal with you if you want to take kids to the park once. Like, that's awesome. Uh, any help, um, we, we can find a way to plug you in. Yeah, or me. Talk to me. Great. Well, maybe we'll just have a little bit of a shorter sermon today because I'm missing the last, like, two pages. Good times. <laughs> I don't know why they let me do this. <laughs> but I'm glad you're all here. Um, and for those who might be visiting, which is at least one person, our wonderful friend Lisa, who flew here from Connecticut just to visit us and is awesome, and you should say hi to. Um, we're going to talk about just a brief reminder of this series um, we're going through. It is, um, so the book we're in right now is The Good and Beautiful God. There's also The Good and Beautiful Life and The Good and Beautiful Community, and it's a curriculum for discipleship and soul training. Um, and so this particular book, we're going through um, different attributes of who God is. Um, and this week, we're talking about love, which, as Wade said, and I also wondered, um, maybe a topic that feels like it's been done to death. Um, Jesus loves me, this I know, etc. Um, I remember being a pretty young Christian person, 12 or 13, and um, really getting that for the first time, and that that God loved me, that Jesus loved me enough to die for me, that I could love him too, and that was this huge major impact on my life, but it's been a number of years since then, and sometimes I think I've just heard it so many times that I tune it out and forget what it really means, um, and pro how profound it is that God loves us, that God loves me that God is love. Um, but this truth is incredibly foundational to our faith. And this morning, I hope we can work together to really delve into it and come out with a renewed sense of the richness of God's love for us. Um, so I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit in our teaching time and reflect with me. So my first question is, um, just for you, what is love? So just take a minute and think about it and then shout out a word or two that describes or defines love for you. Sacrifice. Care. 
wanting the best for somebody. Compassion. Like your home. Choice. Yeah. So it seems like love is a big word that carries a lot of different meanings. And maybe it's a little hard to define, to kind of put a grasp on everything that it means. Um, according to your friend in mine, Wikipedia, um, love is a variety of different feelings, states, and attitudes that ranges from interpersonal affection to pleasure, like I loved that hamburger. It can refer to an emotion, a strong attraction and personal attachment. It can also be a virtue, representing human kindness, compassion, affection, unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern. It may also describe compassionate and affectionate actions toward other humans or animals or whatever. Um, the main thing that I'm going to take from that definition, I think, is that there's there's at least three different facets to love. It's, it's an emotion, it's a virtue, it's an action. It involves how we feel. It involves how we value others, so like a, a choice or a moral way of being. It involves how we act. And it also involves how God feels about us, how he values us, how he chooses to be towards us, and how he acts toward us. It's something we experience with our whole being, and it's something that can only exist in a relationship of some kind. All these aspects are essential, and all of them, I think, are important to understanding God's love. But we're getting a little abstract now, so let's dive into the good and beautiful God chapter that we're drawing from today. James Smith, the author, begins the chapter with the story of a young woman who phones a pastor, asking whether she is welcome to attend his church. This request seems absurd at first. Of course she can come to church. Everyone is welcome. But as the young woman tells her story, it becomes clear that she has not been truly welcomed in church. She became pregnant in high school and chose to keep and raise the baby without the father and returned to the church where she grew up as a part of trying to get back on the right track. It turned out that she was welcome enough to attend church, but she wasn't allowed to share with the youth in the church about her experiences in the hope of helping them make better choices. And she wasn't welcome to have her illegitimate baby baptized. This young woman was kept at arm's length. She wasn't truly welcomed into community or valued for who she was and what she could bring just because of her past choices. The author's point here is that often Christians have a view of God, a false narrative, he calls it, that God's love is conditional, that he only loves us when we're good, and that he turns his back on us whenever we don't live up to that standard. In this narrative, God's love is inconsistent, constantly wavering toward us, depending on our performance. Smith explains that this performance-based message is built into our culture, that we receive it from the time we're little children, from our parents, our teachers, our coaches, in subtle and unconscious ways that we often don't even mean to be communicating to one another. The result is that if we, we come to believe that if we perform well, if we look or act like we think the people in charge want us to, we are affirmed. And this teaches us that our acceptance, our value, our worthiness to be loved is based on our performance. Have you ever felt anything like that? I'm pretty sure I have. Once we believe that the world operates on this principle, it's easy to believe that God does too. That he will only accept, value, and love us if we do all the right good Christian things. Pray, read scripture, serve in some way, give enough, whatever it might be. And the thing is, those are all really good things. They are important. 
But this understanding has the relationship exactly backwards. Often we act or think like we can control God's love for us by getting everything right. It's a legalism that's almost like a superstitious belief in our ability to control God. And in contrast to this message that we can be loved if we perform well enough, Smith explains that the narrative that Jesus tells us is that of a God who seeks out and welcomes sinners, those who aren't doing the right thing at all. Jesus sat down to meals, the ultimate symbol of fellowship and acceptance with sinners. He loved them before they would or could possibly do anything for him, and out of that love, their lives were transformed, and they could respond in love and righteousness. John 3.16, maybe the most overquoted verse in the Bible, tells us that God's love for the world, every molecule that exists, every single human being, his love for everyone is the starting point reaching out for us before we could ever do anything to or for or towards him. And so that's the part where my crazy new journey of becoming a mother fits in to this sermon. So I'm going to take a minute and get a little personal here because this has really helped me think through the topic of love in the last few months. And it's really vulnerable, and that's why I'm reading off the paper, and you are probably noticing that. (laughs) Um, I'll start with a disclaimer that everyone has their own really unique feelings and experiences about pregnancy and babies and everything. And those are all really valid and really real, and this just happens to be mine so far. I know that I'm supposed to be excited about having a baby, and sometimes I am when I'm not too busy being afraid or just profoundly weirded out about the whole thing. So there are a lot of emotions involved in this process. But from the first emotionally complex moment when I knew that this little one was growing like the tiniest alien inside my body, I knew that I loved him or her, and that is really fascinating. I don't know anything about this baby. Baby hasn't done anything to or for me, either good or bad, except, you know, make me nauseous and tired. But somehow I just know that I have love toward them. I want to do everything I can to protect and care for them until we can actually start forming a relationship of some kind. And I feel like there's something profound in that that tells me a little bit about how God loved us before the creation of the world. Before we were even ever able to do anything, bring anything to or for or against him. I know that this baby will bring Peter and I so much joy, and I also know that it will be really difficult and that our hearts will be broken in the process as well. At least that's what my parent friends tell me, and I trust them. So, And God knew all that about us as well deeply and intimately. He knew all the ways that we would bring him joy and the ways we would break his heart, and he still loved us. He still decided that we were worth creating because he wanted to be in relationship with us so much. And so the the spirit, like a mother dove, hovers over creation and formed something real and substantial and bright and alive out of chaos and darkness. And I think maybe I'm starting to have the tiniest mirrored glimpse of kind of what that means. So we can just chalk that up as number one of the 10 million life lessons to be learned as a parent. But enough about that. And back to the book. Um, Our author takes us next from the overarching idea of God's love for all into a particular story that Jesus told to illustrate this love, the story of the prodigal son. It's a story most of us know well. Two sons, one wealthy father, the younger brother brazenly asks for his share of the inheritance, lives it up and foolishly squanders everything until he's destitute, comes back to his senses, 
and decides to go crawling back to his father, hoping that his well-prepared speech will win him enough good graces that he can live like one of his father's servants. The father, meanwhile, is having none of the younger brother's speech or the remaining shards of pride it represents. The father's love burns right through all the shame, bursting with joy to be reunited with his son, just because he's his son. And for the older brother, this is a scandal and an offense. The older brother has stayed with the father, faithful the whole time. So the whole thing seems unfair. Why should the younger brother be treated so well after all he has done, when the older brother never received that kind of love? But the father's love was always available to the older brother. He just never really chose to receive it. So now he is offended by his father's grace. Each of us may relate to a different character in this story, or maybe more than one. I won't ask you to say which one you relate to, but take a minute and imagine the story and think about it. Some of us maybe feel like the younger brother, like we've wasted everything and don't deserve the love of the father. Some of us, maybe we feel like the older brother, offended because we've worked so hard and devoted so much of our life to God, and people who haven't done that seem to have it easy. Or maybe, like the author of the book, we have a hard time believing that God really loves us, not because of the good things we have done, but just because he does. In one way or another, I bet that everyone in this room could use to more deeply believe in God's boundless love. The soul training exercise for this week's chapter, which is something that they have for every chapter, is something called Lectio Divina, which translate as divine reading, and it's a contemplative way to read a passage of scripture, slowly taking it in and listening to what Christ, the living word, might have to speak to us by his spirit through the written word. So Gordy's done this with us a few times, um, I think, in sermons as well. But as a way of entering into a deeper heart, mind, and soul understanding of God's love, I was thinking we could do some soul training, practicing Lectio Divina together. And interestingly enough, this morning's lectionary reading from the Gospel, John 15, was pretty appropriate to the topic at hand. So we've already spent some time there, but we're going to go back again. Um, so I'll read the passage slowly. Close your eyes if you'd like, or enter into whatever is the best listening posture for you. After I've read the passage, we'll take a minute or two, take a couple deep breaths, and let it sink in. And then I'll read it again. So, John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Okay, now I'm going to read the passage a second time. 
as you listen, pay attention for any word or phrase that sticks out for you. Feel free to write it down in your bulletin if you'd like. After another moment, we'll take a little time to just share some of those words or phrases with each other. Sorry. John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So if you'd like, go ahead and call out what struck you, a word, a short phrase, whatever it might be. Remain in me. friend I chose you Love each other. Lay down your life for your friends. Thanks so much for sharing. Now I'll read the passage one last time. As I read, pay attention to the words or phrases that stuck out to you. And as you reflect on the passage again, ask God what he might be speaking to you through this passage today, how he might be calling you to respond. John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Okay. So if two or three people would like to just share a quick sentence or two from what they felt or heard, please feel free, and then I'll keep going.
or you can wait till the end. quiet room this morning. It's okay. We can have some space at the end to share thoughts. Just kind of keep keep brewing on it. I'm going to take I'm going to share a little bit of what I think I've sensed as I've read and thought through this passage and try to tie it back to where we've been. First of all, Jesus says that the Father has loved as the Father has loved him, so he has loved us. That's pretty crazy. Jesus, the perfect son of God, loves us in the same way that his father God loves him. He loves us intimately, calling us friends, calling us into his joy, making us an integral part of his mission in the world. And in this passage, he tells us to remain or abide in his love. Sometimes I think I read that passage and think that remaining in his love is something that I have to grit my teeth and work really hard to do so that I don't accidentally slip out of it. But that's not the way it works. The way that he talks about remaining in his love, it's like we can really settle in and make a home there so that it seeps into the fiber of our being and flows out of us toward others. In the prodigal son story, the younger brother decided to move right out of his father's love. It's really easy to see how he didn't remain. But his father's love was still right there, ready for him to enter back in. The older brother, it seems, never really did enter into his father's love in the first place. He sort of hung around the edges, but he didn't let it seep in. Here's hoping we can let it seep in. But how do we do that? How do we learn to remain, abide, make our home in God's love? It's a great question that I don't have a comprehensive answer to. But pretty clearly in the passage, Jesus says that we move in by doing what he commands, and that what he commands is that we love each other like he loves us. So this takes us back to the question we started with. What is love? Dictionary or Wikipedia definitions are helpful, but they can only take us so far. Perhaps a better source for understanding love, especially God's love, is in Scripture. And there are so many different passages we could look at to find a better understanding of God's love, and I would encourage us all to do that this week, maybe as we work on practicing Lectio Divina ourselves or with our small groups. But one place to look might be the scripture where this week's chapter receives its title, God is Love. In the book of 1 John, the Apostle John coins this phrase, and it seems like he's almost expanding on the John 15 phrase. He's radically asserting that love is so crucial to God that is actually a part of his very identity. So what does love mean? What shape does it take? So I have, and this is where my notes end, and... We go ad-lib. I have up on the slides a little bit of 1 John chapter 3 and a whole bunch of 1 John chapter 4. I'm just going to point out a few different things that I think are important, but feel free to kind of read the whole thing and take in the context. So in 1 John chapter 3, John says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He says that if, if we don't do that, how can God's love be in us? That we shouldn't love with just our words, but with actions and in truth. I think the definition there in the first verse is really important. We know what love is because Jesus laid down his life for us. That's what love looks like. If you want to succinctly know, that's where he's pointing us. And he goes on in chapter 4 to say more about that. Um, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live for him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right, we'll stay there for a minute. So the shape of love is the shape of the cross. It's cruciform. And... For me, I think that's really where it all starts to make sense. Um, There's a lot of things in this world that make us wonder if God really does love us um, individually, love us as maybe as a community, um, as the human race as a whole. Um, And... I've wondered that too sometimes. And sometimes, I've talked to Joanna about this a lot, I don't always know if I belong in the vineyard world because I don't like hear a lot of things from God or get a lot of pictures, but the more I've thought about this, I realize that the only thing I ever do get is I, like, is Jesus. Usually he's dying. And sometimes I'm like, I get it. I actually did get a theology degree. Got the basic point. And I feel like God is like, nope, you don't get it. Here it is again. Um, this is the point. <laughs> this is the answer to the question. No, no, what that noise was. Oh, exciting! <laughs> no more projector. <laughs> um, but really, but really, this it's it, this is it. Like in the face of everything that is broken and doesn't make sense in the world and makes us wonder, does God really love us? God isn't a God who is, like, not even paying attention, and he's not like, oh, that's not such a big deal, or it'll all be fine. Like, the only possible answer that there ever was is that God the Son came to earth and lived among us and showed us love and then died. Like, God had to die because everything was terrible, and that's what love is. Like, that's really weird, and we talk about it all the time, and we do that all the time, and it kind of becomes normal, but it's actually really weird and awesome. And so I feel like if we want to know what love is, we just kind of sit there for a while at the foot of that. And if that soaks into who we are in whatever way that is, maybe that's worship, maybe that's communion, maybe that's reading and praying, then that's what will come out of us. And figuring out exactly what that looks like practically doesn't mean being a doormat or whatever, but it means something about being about dying to ourselves and being self-sacrificing and becoming alive through that. Because P.S. After that terrible thing happened, also God came alive again. 
And so that's the shape of love. And I think I said more interesting things about that in my notes, but that was the main point that I wanted to make there. So I think what we're going to do is if Peter can bring up the book for me that is in, right, th no, it's right in front of your face. Thank you. You're awesome. <laughs> the place that I'm going to end is with the poem that the author ends the chapter with. Um, and it's by George Herbert, and it's pretty old, but I think it's still really good. Um, because as we think about abiding and remaining and making our home in God's love, it's a picture of love, which means God, inviting us into his home. So if you can just close your eyes and imagine whatever is the homiest home kind of place that you can think of and just go there, we're going to go there together. And then I'm going to be done talking, and if Wade wants to come up and make a ministry time thing happen, that's great. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack, from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it does deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. May the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the other thing about Christ that's good too be with us all. Amen. So here's what I want to do for ministry time. Um, as both Jessica and I have repeated over and over and over again today, when you're talking about love, it's very easy to let sort of our Christianese wash over that. But I think what love looks like is what you guys were doing 35 minutes ago. And that's drinking coffee and being with each other. And I've said this in the microphone so many times that VEV is my church home because even though I'd grown up in the church all my life, it was the first place that I felt home. And I think... It's impossible to talk about Mother's Day and love without that tying into your concept of home. And so my 
Hope for you is that you're here because this is your spiritual home. Because unlike the story that Jessica told us about the, the story of the girl in the book who wasn't welcomed, no matter what, you're welcome here. We are a church that in our reflections puts up pictures of Rembrandt's prodigal son and we listen to Iggy and the Stooges. Both and. So, love starts at the cross. And we practice it here. And we practice it with each other. The other thing that I sort of got wrong growing up in the church was that I was shown a worldview that wasn't biblical. And that you sort of, first of all, you have to get dressed up in really uncomfortable clothes that you don't wear all week to go to church because you have to put on, you know, my experience, right? My experience, don't judge me. <laughs> you have to put on these nice, uncomfortable clothes you don't wear all week because when you walk into church, you need to have this facade that everything's okay. And then you have that awkward Christian greeting and you're like, oh, we're great, isn't that great? And then Church becomes this weird thing that you do on Sunday that has no connection to the rest of your week whatsoever. That's how I grew up in the church. That's, we, we don't do that here. That's what I love about us. And that once we understand that love is the shape of the cross, how that's practiced is by drinking coffee with each other is by talking to each other, is by praying for each other, by hearing about our hardships and our joys and our celebration, by helping plant gardens. Um, what it took me until I was an adult to learn is that there's no division between the sacred and the secular, that doing all that is worship, and that... Uh, and that it, I, I was taught that worship was doing this, that, you know, we're going to sing the songs and this is spiritual and now, you know, serving the coffee isn't. No, that's all an expression of our love, our love for each other. Um, so while Corey plays, which is a very important part of expressing our love to God, and I'm not demeaning that at all, we're ending a little bit early. I don't want you to hang out. We still have, like, buckets of Korean candy, right? Someone needs to eat it. Is there any more brownies back there? So, there's more traits of everything. That's an expression of God's love. And so that's what I want to happen for ministry time. But, see, the secret with that is that you have to be intentional, right? Like, it's easy once again, to go, oh, right on, coffee and sugar. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is that we share that together. And that as we feel accepted and loved, then as we leave those doors, that's when we carry it further, right? Make sense? So that's what we're going to do for ministry time. You're going to love each other. And then you're going to take the awesome people that you are as we leave here and go take your mom out for lunch or whatever you're going to do as our love reservoir is filled, that you're going to continue to be the hands and feet and face of God's love 
to Hastings Sunrise, all of Vancouver, and then the rest of the world. So, dear Heavenly Father, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you that we find our home in you. And in your bride, the church, where all are welcomed, where the prodigal son is greeted and the fatted calf is slain for a feast, and where we share coffee and crazy Asian candy uh, amongst ourselves trying to practice what that really means and then taking it out. So uh, as we close this service, I pray that you'll give us a new revelation of how to love each other, how to lay down our lives for each other, how to cry, how to celebrate, how to help, how to dig and plant and cook and eat unto one another and to our neighborhood and the world. So may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you today as we go and be the hands and feet and face of God's unconditional love. Amen.